thank you, Terry. I appreciate Terry. He led us Wednesday night in our study in Colossians. And this Wednesday night, he'll finish out that study for us. Encourage you to come and have that meal at 6. And then together we have a study at 7. And uh, after that, next week, uh, taking us in, including a business meeting, we're going to see a video study with Andy Stanley, uh, who's a very gifted teacher. So encourage you to come be a part of that. And um, then start in May after that with revival. Uh, so I encourage you to be in prayer because we all need to be encouraged. We are so, I think we all must have cracks in us. We just leak out. And unfortunately, sometimes instead of leaking out Christ, we, we leak out our energy and our, our strength uh, in the Lord. So this morning, uh, we are in Hebrew, not Hebrews, Romans. I know what, we've been in Romans a while. I should realize that. Romans 11, as we close out the chapter. We call this the unfathomable God. We're going to look at verse 30 through 36, which is the end of the chapter. I encourage you when you find that text to stand in our God's honor. So I read aloud. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. <laughs> who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come, we bow not just our knee, all of us, to you, the living God. You are the unfathomable God. We can't fully comprehend you, but praise be to God. That doesn't mean we do not receive your mercy because of how little our thinking is, Lord. Just uh, remind us, Lord, how awesome and how great you are and how your mercy flows. We need to hear from you, Lord. So, Father, hide me behind the precious cross. Father, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you are welcome in our hearts and minds. Teach us, because I can't. Holy Spirit must. So we want to learn. Holy Spirit, teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We come here to the end of chapter 11. And as you look at chapters 9 through 11, uh, not as many sermons as Romans 8, Romans 12, even Romans 6 and 7. It's a difficult, and in many ways, in, in Romans chapter 9, there's an emphasis on the Jews that they are chosen God's people. Chapter 10, they rejected God's plan. And Paul is suffering because of that. He's battled with that. He struggled. Comes to chapter 11 and he says, but I don't believe that God has totally rejected the Jews. That he still loves the Jews. And he makes the point, I, I'm a Jew. And God 
worked in my heart. He, he met me on the Damascus Road. And, and although I was opposed to his plan, he got my attention. He, he dropped me to my knees. And, and now I know that I have hope. Now, now I know what life's about. And, and as you come in chapter 11, you see Paul's burden. You see, Paul grew up in a Jewish home, in, in a Jewish town. And he began to think about the people he grew up with. He began to think about those in his hometown. And not only his immediate family, but the people who impacted him and his friends. And then later on, his teachers and all those important people in his life that Paul deeply loved and cared about. And who had rejected God's plan in the Messiah, in Christ Jesus. And it broke Paul's heart. And you know, we take that to today. All of us have people... In our families and friends and people that we care about. Who they're just not open to God's plan in Jesus Christ. And it's heartbreaking. And we find ourselves crying and weeping and, and, and saying, God, show mercy, God. Because you see, love is not getting what we deserve. It's what we need. And what we need is the mercy of God to flow into our lives we don't need what we deserve because according to the scriptures, we're sinners and what we deserve, it's not good. It's judgment. It's, it's condemnation. But I'm so grateful as we looked at in Romans 8, there is therefore now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit set me free from the law of sin and death. That, that, that's the power of God's incredible, beautiful mercy. As we look here in verses 30 through 32, four times... <laughs> The words mercy, the word mercy is used. He says, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received, there it is, mercy. As a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy. As a result of God's mercy to you, for God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have Mercy. I believe as, as, as Paul began to pray and as God began to think about those people he loved who were not open to the message of Christ and, and, and to the hope of, of eternal life and, and to knowing God's love and, and, and His kindness and, and His mercy. He had a burden and then he erupted in this last part here in praise. Why? Because God spoke to his heart. And God revealed to him that God's heart is not to punish people or to wipe people out. His heart is a heart of mercy. And, and notice as he, as he says here in the scriptures here in verse 30, he starts out. And he says, you, one time disobedient to God. He's talking to those Gentiles. Those people who at one time had no heart for God. But their hearts changed. And, and, and now God showed, poured out his mercy abundantly to them. Now they've received that mercy. You know, oftentimes we talk about in the scriptures how the Gentiles were looked at as, as dogs or, or, you know, they were disliked or, or they were put down by the Jews because the Jews were people who were set apart to be holy to God. And, you know, they had these marriage laws and these dietary laws and all of these laws to keep God's people set apart for him and his purposes. But that does not mean... That God despises those who were not Jewish. The Gentiles. Matter of fact. 
it's interesting as you look through the scriptures and see his incredible mercy. A.W. Pink defined mercy like this. He said, mercy is the ready inclination of God to relieve the misery of fallen humanity. God's ready. He, he has an inclination. He's ready to relieve the misery in our hearts. And to fill us with His forgiveness. And to fill us with that new start. That's the awesome, incredible mercy of God. And it's not just in the New Testament, guys. As you trace through the Old Testament, you see that awesome mercy. Remember Jonah. What an incredible account. God calls His man to, to go and to speak to a group of people who hated God, who were against God, these Ninevites. And quite frankly, Jonah hated them. He didn't like them. And he didn't want God to show them mercy. And so he got in argument with the God. He said, God, I went on a ship and I'm going to go the wrong direction. So you guys know what happened. He ended up getting swallowed by a big fish once he was thrown overboard. And where did he end up? Right where God wanted him, in Nineveh. And he ended up speaking to those people God's mercy. And what happened? Said a whole city, 120,000 people. There was a great revival that broke out. God started saving people. The mercy of God began to flow as they turned to God and found a new life and found new hope as they repented. And what did that preacher do? Did he have a party and all of a sudden he's being called to go everywhere and, and, and preach about God? No, he started pouting. Why did he start pouting? Because as crazy as it sounds, he didn't want those mean people to get the mercy of God. But God wanted to give His mercy to those Ninevites. It wasn't a matter of where they'd been. It wasn't a matter of who they were. It was a matter of who loved them. And that was God. God loved them. But Jonah is not the only account. Remember the account of Ruth. As her husband died and, and um, as she was with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi said, you need to go back to your people. And Ruth said, No. You, I belong to your people now. And, and, and I want to worship your God. And so she made a stand and said, you know, I, I want to follow the Lord God. I want to go with him. And, and then she came and, and, and the beautiful story of the kinsman redeemer as she entered into a family and married Boaz. Just a beautiful story of God showing forth to the Gentiles his mercy. His mercy. And yet it was interesting as I, as I read to here, there's another one. I could go on with other examples, but I just use this example of Rahab. Two of the spies entered into the promised land and there was this prostitute in Jericho who hid these two spies because she had been thinking about what she had heard about God. And her heart was warmed and she made a decision, I want to follow God. And when she made that decision, she hid those spies. And, and the mercy of God was shown to her as, as there were many people who, who um, ended up destroyed. But not her, because she showed mercy to God's people. There was mercy shown to her. And you know, I had never noticed it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Um, what an interesting thought that, I don't know why I hadn't really noticed it. I should have, but uh, as we open up the New Testament... As we have the genealogy of the Messiah. He starts, he works down through here and starts in verse 1. It says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
works his way down through this genealogy. Then you come to verse 5, and it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Now, we see here, you know, it's, I've heard it before, that Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David. But what I had missed was Rahab. Rahab, as we see here, was Boaz's mom. Now, think about Ruth as she was looking for someone to show her mercy. And then we have Boaz, and, and what did he hear from his mom? His mom used to be a prostitute. His mom used to live in a city that, that was close to God, a place where, where, where God was not revered and, and where God was considered an enemy, and so were God's people. But she found mercy, and Boaz grew up hearing about that mercy, the mercy of God that, that flows. And is it no wonder he showed mercy to Ruth? Because I believe he heard mercy from his mom. Sitting on his mom's lap, hearing her mom talk about, not necessarily that she used to be a prostitute, but just how good God is. And how His mercy flowed to her. And how you need to follow God. And you need to listen to God. And you need to know God loves you. And you need to know that His mercy is available. And that poured all the way down to King David, the greatest kings. All coming from a place you would not expect. But where the mercy of God was found. And it changed everything. You know, God's still in that business. He knows where we've been. He knows where we are. But He loves us right there. And He says, I want you to know I love you and I care about you and I want you to know my mercy. Hey, that's God. It was a mercy not only poured out to the Gentiles, but as we see in verse 31, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. You see, as God saw the mercy to the Gentiles, it was a man, it was a testimony that his mercy is beyond no one. Matter of fact, that's where he comes to here in, in verse 32. He says, For God has bound everyone over to disobedience, so may he have mercy on them all. Hey, his mercy is available to everybody. There's nobody beyond that mercy. What a great thought. Because there's some people, and you've said it, and I have too. He's too far gone. Just might as well write that one off. Too late. No, it's never too late. God's mercy is available. It's extended. Um, look here in verse 32. He says, for God has bound all men over to disobedience. That word bound um, literally could be translated to enclosed together. It's the idea of a fish being caught in a net or an animal ensnared in a trap. We're caught in our sin. There's no way out. We've been snagged. We've been entrapped. We're caught in our sin and we need someone... To set us free. And praise be to God that that is accomplished through God's mercy. Turn with me to uh, Exodus 25. Uh, there is a description here of the mercy seat. 
And I had uh, asked the guys to, uh, we found a picture of the mercy seat. I just wanted you to see that as I read down through here. It's Exodus 25, and I'm going to start at 17 and read a couple of verses here. He says, make an atonement cover, um, in some translations, mercy seat, of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with a cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put it in the ark of the testimony, which I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So, there's the Ark of the Covenant. Notice the cover. Um, some translations say the atonement cover is the lid of the mercy seat. There are the two angels and they're looking down. The picture here of a mercy seat or atonement cover is that there is no place to sit in the Holy of Holies, in that place where the high priest enters once a year for the sin of all of the people. There's no place to sit down, but there's this place, a mercy seat and atonement cover. And the idea is that the angels are looking down as God Himself sits in that place, just displaying His mercy, that He has shown up to provide forgiveness. It's on this place, on, on, on the mercy seat, on, on the atonement cover, of the Ark of the Covenant that the blood was sprinkled and the sacrifice that says without the shedding of blood there is no remission or taking away of sin. And as that blood flowed from the lid it would flow down which was a picture of God's mercy flowing down to His people and their sin being paid for. But the beauty of this mercy, guys, is that although now it is not a matter of uh, mercy seed and year after year Blood being sprinkled down, showing the forgiveness of God. But we have a Savior. We have a sacrifice once and for all that's paid that price. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7 quickly. I'm in Hebrews 7, 23. It says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able, look at these words, to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He saves completely, guys. It's not a partial plan. Well, I'll do a little bit here and God will take care of that and come back later and finish the job. No, he saves completely. Jesus Christ is his blood that was poured on the mercy seat. And it was his blood that paid the price once and for all. It says, unlike the high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints his high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who's been made perfect forever. His mercy Shown forth in the mercy seat, in the sacrifices, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, that was offered, spilled upon the mercy seat that we so desperately needed as His blood paid for the sacrifice once and for all. Listen to these uh, words from an old hymn called Every Wind That Blows. 
From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat. Tis found beneath the mercy seat. There's a place where Jesus sheds the oil of gladness on our heads, a place then all besides more sweet. It's the blood-bought mercy seat. There's a scene where spirits blend, where friends hold fellowships with friends. Those sundered far by faith they meet around one common mercy seat. <laughs> there, there on eagle's wings we soar and Time and sense seem all no more. And heaven comes down our souls to great and glory crowns the mercy. Now, let's go back to Hebrews. I mean, Hebrews. I want to keep doing it. Back to the book of Romans. Chapter 11. Paul has been thinking about this incredible mercy offered to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to all people. And, And you know what happens next? He starts having a worship service all by himself. He starts thinking about how awesome God's mercy is. And, and buddy, he can't keep it quiet. So there's evidence here he wasn't just a Baptist, right? I mean, he got fired up. Sometimes we don't have to look like we're Church of the Frigidaire, right? But anyway, he was, he was ready to go. And, and look what he says here. Uh, verse 33, man, it just erupts in praise. The unfathomable God. And, and, you know, sometimes words are just stupid things. You can't really say, because you just can't say it. But he just breaks in with his efforts <laughs> to say it. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and knowledge of God. That word depth is the word bathos in the Greek. And it's where we get our word bathtub from. It's a couple of pictures here. One, when I was young, uh, I used to love to, you know, put the bath, you know, get a bath and just lay in the bath and just soak. Oh, man, felt so good. I don't do that too much anymore. But the idea here in my mind is that Paul is, man, he's soaking in the mercy of God. And his heart's been burdened about those he loves who have not received Christ. But, he, but he's, just, he's just soaking there. He's saying, that mercy remains available. And, and, and I believe and I hope that, that God will speak to hearts and his mercy will flow to their lives. And, and they'll be changed and they'll know where my peace comes from, where my joy comes from, where my love comes from. My hope. Man, that's what he's, what he's talking about here. And... It's also the word, uh, we think of submarines, the bathosphere, which was uh, the predecessor of the submarine that goes down to the deeps of the depths, far beyond what we know is there. And, and he's talking about God. And he says, man, we can't go to the deep of the depths of, of how rich he is and, and how wise he is and how knowledgeable he is as our God. And, and he says, how unsearchable his judgments. Man, you can't totally figure God out. Your brain's too small. As uh, one, one commentator said, uh, you, you know, we're about as big as a flea's whisker. If they have whiskers, I don't know. Uh, but, but the problem is he, he's, he's, he's unsearchable. His path's beyond tracing out. You can't know God. He's too vast. He's too big. He's too powerful. Verse 34, who's known the mind of the Lord? We think we can think for God. We give him our ideas. We give him our list of what we want him to do. But uh, I found out he doesn't always take my recommendations. <laughs> he's the Lord. He says, or who has been his counselor? And we try to give God. God, He's God. He says, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Uh, who's indebted? God's not indebted to anyone. For from him, man, every blessing we have, it comes from him. And through him, life, what it's about, it comes through Jesus Christ. No other way, it's through him. <laughs> And to him are all things. He's the one to get the attention and the glory. He's the one that deserves the praise. It's to him 
to be that glory forever and ever and ever. As the hymnist uh, Walter Chalmers Smith wrote, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light. Nor wanting, nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice, thy mountains high soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small, in all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but naught changest thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. But of all thy rich graces, this grace, Lord, impart, take the veil from our faces, the vial from our heart. All laud we would render, O help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. And so let thy glory, almighty, impart through Christ in his story. Thy Christ to the heart. He's the ultimate source, the ultimate means, the ultimate goal of all things. He's the unfathomable God. I, I love the story as I close. Of, uh, it said that President Roosevelt loved to look at the stars. He enjoyed astronomy. He would often go out with a, a dear friend. and They would lay on the ground and look up at the stars and... They would try to point out different constellations or different planets. And usually, I mean, you know, it was so, the universe is so vast. Usually they would, would get tired. And one of the things Roosevelt would love to close with, he'd say, I think we're small enough now. Let's go to bed. He'd get up and leave. When we start looking at God, if we look long enough, we finally come to a point to say, I think I'm small enough now. As I close here, though, I don't want us to leave and miss. Not that we're small. But that His mercy is available. Don't leave here without that mercy. Don't leave here without receiving the gift of His love that's found in Christ Jesus. Because that's what life's about. That's where hope is found. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank You for Your Word. Father, you are indescribable, as the song says, Lord. We offer you our praise, God. And we feel about as small as a flea whisker, if there is such a thing. Thank you, O oh God, that you love us and that your mercy is poured out at Calvary. and It's available to me and to each of us. Why not today? Today is the day to receive that mercy. Oh, God. I pray if there be someone here who, for whatever reason, has not received that mercy yet, now's a good time. Father, bring people to the altar to pray. Bring people here to, to tell your people about what's happened in their lives, Lord. We just want to see you, oh, Holy Spirit, work. We want to get out of the way and let you work, God. So thank you for this time we call invitation. And fathers, we don't necessarily have to walk to the front. We make a decision right where we are to trust you as Savior and Lord or give a certain area of our lives to you. But I think there is something cemented 
when we are willing to talk to your people and, and to share it. So I pray, Father, you'd give us courage to follow you in obedience to the altar, to the front, or, or maybe just where we are, but to obey. In Christ's name we pray.